This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. On this March break Sunday, we're glad that you're here. Uh, We're starting a new series called Good News. You know, the thing is, I was thinking about this. Do you know, in order to have good news you have to have some idea of bad news. Like, for good news to make sense, you actually have to have experienced some kind of bad news, yes? Uh, Because otherwise you just get, like, good news on top of good news on top of good news just becomes your best news, becomes sort of, you know, and I was remembering in Luke 7, 47, Jesus said to the, he was talking to a crowd, and he said, this woman loves me much because she's been forgiven much. But those of you that haven't been forgiven much love little, and it's, it's sort of a profound and very wild verse, but the point of it is, when, when we are in our lives and we forget what God has done for us, it's easy to uh, take Easter, or Easter we could for granted, it's easy to say things like, oh, we gotta go to Good Friday service. It's like the dirge service where we're really supposed to be sad. But over this season, I'm praying that we would remember what God has brought us from. It's not very popular in our culture because our culture tells us that we should only f- focus on the positive all the time, just your strengths, forget about your weaknesses, because we know you have none. Uh, I I want us to be people that remember what God rescued us from. Because when we really remember, we can't help but be overwhelmed with gratitude for what he's done for us. So, we're three weeks from Easter, um, and it's, it's sort of hard to believe. I think the older you get, does anybody resonate with this? The older you get, the faster time goes. Like, weird. Like, I think I thought this when I was probably about 20. And it is now like time has doubled up more than it's really. If you're 20 here, God bless you. Time is going at a very slow pace for you right now. Enjoy every Monday morning. My littlest girl turned 10 today. And now I don't have any littles anymore. So I can't use the excuse that my house is a mess because I have little people. It's a mess because of me. And I am aware of that. Uh, Pastor Dave is away today. He's, his um, mom and dad are moving here. We're really excited about that. But he is uh, putting their house up for sale that they've lived in for 50 years. So you can pray for him this week. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, we all collect a lot of weird things. If you think about your basement right now, think of all the things you've collected that you thought were cool 10 years ago. Anyways, um, okay, we're, we're going to focus for the next couple of weeks, though, on uh, the, the lead-up to Easter. Uh, One-third of the canonical Gospels are spent talking about the Passion Week of Jesus. So the Passion Week of Jesus, the week leading up to Good Friday. This is important for us to understand theologically because uh, obviously it tells us about how important the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus is. 
there is some, uh, currently, there is some talk in theological circles like, oh, evangelical churches have spent too much time just thinking about the death of Jesus, but like, let's, we gotta think about the life. And I agree, we, we must think about the life of Jesus as well. But we must understand that one third of the gospel, one third of the information you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John has to do with the death of Jesus leading up to his death. This is a lot of material. And um, in 25 years of uh, pastoral ministry, I found a couple things to be true. One is this, when people are nearing the end of their life, when they know that death is imminent, and by the way, this will happen to all of us, they get an uncanny sense of clarity about what is really important. It's a gift, really, given to us by God, that when we end, come to the end of our life, we recognize what's really important. It's why people have a lot of, many people have a lot of regrets when they die, because they recognize that the things that they should have focused on were not the things that they focused on, and they worried about their NMAX bill when they should have been worrying about the people living in that house. Now, Jesus himself always knew what was important. We understand that Jesus was both fully God, but he was also fully man. And coming into that week, that Passion Week, he got an un, he began to speak with great clarity about what was important. And he, as he moves closer to the cross, he begins to speak clearly about the purposes, of, about his purposes on earth in a way that sort of pulls back the curtain on his life. So a number of years ago, um, a little uh, app was released called Twitter. And um, I can remember the day that it was um, released and thinking, who wants to know what anybody is doing? Who cares that I, and like you tweeted, we, if you joined Twitter at the beginning, don't look back and look at my tweets, it's so embarrassing. You would write things like, here I am getting a coffee. I'm going to bed now. See you later, everyone. Like, any, like anybody cared. Nobody cared. But the thing we found out that people really did care about was what kind of like famous people were doing. Don't, I know you're all godly Christians and you don't care about famous people. <sighs> but for other people. Uh, it became wildly popular because people got to see that like... Barack Obama was just like us, like eating a chicken salad sandwich for lunch. And you got to see that the person that you thought was really fancy was just like a regular person. Do you remember when you were a kid in school and teachers were magical? Not literally magical, I know we don't believe in magic, but like you would see them like if you went to the grocery store. My, my sister had a teacher that also worked at No Frills, which also tells you something about our education system, which we won't get into, but... Um, <clears throat> She, and I remember like going and we were like checking things out and there was the teacher in the wild world, like out in the world, there she was. Uh, it, this is funny about kids, but it's true about adults too, like when you see somebody who's kind of famous and you see them like in real life and then you realize, oh, all the pictures of them have been airbrushed. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Uh, but, but the thing is, we're, we're enamored with that because we, we actually want to know what the people we look up to really think, how they act, how they are. Now, today I want to look at a scripture that I think does that exact thing uh, in the life of Jesus, really pulls back the curtains on his life. 
and over the last couple of months, I have been captivated by this prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. In a lot of ways, this prayer gives us insight into Jesus' life, into his inner life in a way no other passage does. And um, before we get to the scripture, we're going to read it in, this, in a moment, but let me just make some observations about the scripture. The first is this. This is the longest prayer recorded of Jesus. It's 632 words long. And it's astonishing to me that Jesus actually spent time praying. Did you ever think about that? Jesus, who was God, fully God, spent time praying. And the obvious application is that if Jesus had to pray, who is fully God, what, what does that say about you and I? Uh, Jesus, when he does this, when he says this prayer, a couple of things that are important to note here. Jesus' posture of prayer. Now, in our current culture, when we pray, we bow our heads and we close our eyes. Uh, in Jesus' day, though, what it looked like to pray, it said that Jesus lifted up his hands and his head. And this comes from Psalm 121, where it says, I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? Uh, and there's something, I know, there's nothing wrong with bowing our heads in reverence, but there's something quite powerful about the fact that Jesus lifted up his hands. We lift our hands, by the way, if you're new to this whole church thing, maybe you came in here today and thought, what planet have I come to? Everyone's raising, we lift our hands as a way to say, God, I'm not holding anything back from you. Everything that I have is yours, and I'm submitting all of myself to you, and Jesus does this, fully submits himself to God. We also know that Jesus prayed out loud. Why? Well, it's kind of ob obvious. The disciples obviously heard him praying this prayer. That's how they could write it down and put it in the Gospels. But there's something really powerful. I, I just want to encourage you before we look at the prayer. There's something powerful about praying out loud, using your voice. Partly, um, this is important because for most of us, we suffer from squirrel. <laughs> do, do you... <laughs> You know, like you start praying quietly in your head, a very powerful, powerful prayer. And then you think about dishes that are in your dishwasher that haven't been. And all of a sudden you think about bills that haven't been paid. Or people that have got on your nerves. A car that doesn't work very well. You, you just know how it is. Something good about when we pray out loud, we're actually holding ourselves to attention. It's causing us to think about what we're saying and it doesn't let you get into nonsense. So that, that's just for free. Okay, so this prayer of Jesus is broken down into three parts. The first part is Jesus prays for himself. The second part is Jesus prays for his disciples. And the third part is Jesus prays for you. And I want to look at each of these individually. So let's look at John chapter 17, verse 1. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Okay. So a few observations we want to make about this section of Jesus' prayer. The first one is this. Jesus, Jesus actually prayed for himself. 
Jesus took time at the beginning to pray for himself. Now, the obvious application is that we also must take time to intercede for ourselves. This is not uh, selfish. This is not uh, like you're less than or you're navel-gazing. If Jesus prayed for himself, so should we. Now, we're not going to pray the exact same prayer that Jesus prayed. In many ways, this prayer that Jesus prayed was something that only the Son of God could pray. However, there are principles here that uh, we can learn from. Jesus basically, he prayed for himself, but he basically prayed the same prayer here that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. I really practiced that word all week. It did not work out. He prayed this when he was in the garden. God, not my will be done, but yours. And this is the prayer that all of us should be praying. God, not my will for my life, but yours. The difficult thing about this prayer, though, is that we have, if we're honest, we have trust issues. All of us do. And most of us have trust issues with God. So it's difficult because some of us have been so disappointed with the way life has gone. It's hard to pray, God, not my will be done, but yours when you're not sure if God really hears you, if he really sees your heart. You know, and I'm sure for Jesus, standing there in that moment, he's walking to the cross but he's still praying, God, not my will be done, but yours. I want to assure you today that the God we serve is a God you can trust. He's a God that, that sees every part of your heart, that has seen every tear that you've cried, that has seen every misunderstanding that is happening, and I can assure you today that the best prayer we can pray is, God, not my will be done, but yours. So I knew this would get some amens. And I was thinking as I was driving in today, I was speaking this to myself, then why do you worry? If you know that God can take care of you. And there are moments that we must say to God, God, this is hard but you are able. This is difficult, but I believe that you are for me. This is why we sing these songs over and over again, by the way, because you're speaking to your spirit sometimes. Some of you need to learn to speak to your spirit that when it feels like all hope is lost, nothing is lost because we serve a faithful God. And this is why Jesus could keep saying, God, I commend you. I, I, I commend myself to you. This is why he could pray, God, do whatever it is that you want to do in me. And sometimes that requires practice. You've got to say it more than once. You've got to pray it. I'm driving on the way here, and I'm saying, God, you're more than able. You are more than able. I'm saying it as I'm turning on to Beddington. God, you are more than able. When I get on the stony trail, God, you are faithful and good, and I know this. I know I can trust you. 
You see, um, Jesus talked about this. He knew that if we would pray a prayer like this, that it, it's sort of a, a line-up prayer. When he said, if you would seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. You see, the gospel is simple, but it is hard. It's, it's okay, yep, yeah, seek first the kingdom of God. And then I ask myself, how come I'm not living by that on Monday morning when I'm feeling stressed? This is where we just keep, we keep bringing ourselves back. Seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to see this little part uh, in this prayer that I, I really jumped out at me this week. It says, for you granted him, verse 2, authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Uh, have you ever had somebody say, who do you think you are? God's gift to the world? Ever had somebody say that facetiously to you? I'm going to tell you that now. I'm going to give you a comeback line. Do you know, you know when you can't think of comeback lines to people, and then in the middle of the night, 3.30 a.m., you think, ah, I should have said that. I'm going to give you a comeback line. Just keep it in your notes. You can pull it up. You can just say, no, I actually am a gift from God to you, to the world, actually. <laughs> John 17, verse 2 tells me that. But here's what's really cool, is that this scripture, Jesus is praying for himself, but we are reminded that we are a gift from God. Huh. I just, I was having a particularly weird day where you just sort of feel like, oh, I don't know, I don't know about anything. And this scripture just jumped out at me. You're a gift from God. Now, that doesn't make us have overinflated egos because the person next to you also is a gift from God. So it kind of keeps it all balanced. But it does not let you give, get in the ditch of shame and self-flagellation. God knew what he was doing. The book of Acts tells us that he knew the times and locations that he was to put people, place people. You are a gift from God. And anytime you get to feeling like you're not, you just don't have it. You're not enough. God says that you are a gift from him. And then Jesus does a lot of talking in this entire passage about eternal life. Anytime Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about heaven. The, the word eternal in this passage is, is more akin to the word he uses in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Eternal life, abundant life, they're sort of like synonyms for each other. This idea that Jesus wants to come and give us eternal life is good news. Because <laughs> it doesn't mean we're just going to like live out your days like a slog here for the next 90 or 120 or as science tells us, maybe 200 years. All the scientists are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't mean we live like a slog. It means that Jesus wants to come and give us eternal life now. Now. We don't have to live like uh, we're down in the dumps. Okay, so this is what G Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples. He says this in verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Listen, if you're here today, it is by no coincidence God is revealing, God is revealing himself to you. Now, there's theological implications for this. Uh, there's, a, there's a group of theologians, they'd be called Calvinists, who believe that you do nothing, that God, in fact, uh, chooses you, 
and you are on a conveyor belt of him choosing you. There's another group of people who will be called theologically, you probably don't care, but they're called the Armenians, and they believe, no, in fact, we choose God, like we have to make a decision, and I'm just going to tell you just for fun here today, we're neither this nor this, because I, I kind of think the Bible tells us both. You can fight me about this. This is just, it's fine. It's just a, an idea. Uh, because there is scriptures that say, listen, I chose you before the world began. You were in me. You're chosen, and there's nothing you can do. And then there's also scriptures that tell us that we, we actually make a decision for God. And so it's somewhere in the truth is somewhere in the middle of this. But God says he revealed himself. He revealed himself to you. It's not by accident that you're here. Um, it says they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Again, you're a gift from God. God gave you. Now they know it, that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew a certainty that I came from you and that they believed you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. By the way, remember that Jesus is praying this prayer. A few hours from now, he's going to the cross. And he's talking about joy. Whoa. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Okay, a couple things we observe here. The first thing is, well, Jesus is praying uh, for his disciples. Not everything is a request. Do you notice that this prayer, Jesus is not praying a shopping list. Like, he's not like, and here's the 45 things. Some of it, he's just like talking to God. He's talking to God ostensibly about things God already knows about. Like things that God already already know, particularly these first couple verses, he's just recounting what God has done. This is something important about prayer, that God is not just looking for our requests, he's looking for relationship with us. And this is, I think, sometimes what makes prayer so hard for some of us, because we can sort of relax and just shoot the breeze with a friend. I mean, if you had a friend that you just gave requests to, it'd be so weird. You would have no friends. Some of you, that's enlightening to you right now. Uh, you know, with a friend, you just sort of, you shoot the breeze, you talk about things you already know about, and you say the same, by the way, you make the same 10 jokes, I make the same 10 jokes, you only have 10, maybe five, three for some of us. 
And your friends just sort of like, they go along with that. That's like how you build friendship. That's how you learn to trust each other and love each other. But with God, we get to our prayer time and we think it's got to be some kind of montage of like powerful words and requests. How about saying like, God, I'm tired of peanut butter sandwiches today. I'm going to have another one, but like, I'm not thrilled about it. God, like raising kids is hard. My kids are wild and they keep sleeping in and keep missing the bus and I keep having to drive them. Gas is expensive, God. These things are prayers too. This is prayer too, because it is about building relationship with the one who knows us and loves us. It's about sharing our thoughts and then letting him share his thoughts back with us. And this section of prayer, I was kind of, I was reading it and I thought, I tried it in different versions because sometimes, you know, you can read a different version and something can come alive a little bit differently. And each version was like, like kind of hard to read. And I was trying to think about what would be the, the version that would really capture everybody's attention this Sunday morning. And we just stuck with the NIV. Um, and God said, this is, exact, this is exactly the point. Jesus was just talking to God. Now, if you were to write out your prayers and they were to be like beautifully crafted, I mean, maybe you're a poet and just poetry comes out of your mouth, but for most of us, our everyday musings would just sort of be everyday musings. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus praying this prayer. By the way, he's praying it. Again, let me just remind you, in a time of great stress and duress, and he's just talking to God. This is what makes, this is why we say that there are there is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is flat. You don't have to be powerful and have like uh, all the right theological terminology. Our, God is, our job is to just merely talk to God. Uh, Jesus, in this section, though, he describes, what, um, he describes what he's to do with his followers. He says he's, to protect, he's asking for protection for them, He's asking for sanctification. By the way, sanctification is a, just a uh, theological term that means clean you up. You need, you need help. That's what sanctification means. God's going to clean you up. And thirdly, he's going to send them. Um, so he's, he's going to protect us. He's going to sanctify us. And he's going to send us. These are the three things he's praying for. You know, a, a couple of years ago, uh, well, many years ago now, when um, people who didn't live on coastal towns like us, people who lived in the middle of a country like us thought, we should have access to seafood too. We should be able to go to Red Lobster, yes, yes. And we shouldn't be scared of the fish that we eat here. Uh, they started sending codfish, became a really big deal. Everybody wanted to eat codfish. And so they tried a, a few different ways to get the codfish to people like us in the prairies. And first, what they did is they, um, they just sent it on ice. You can imagine that didn't turn out very well. It was gr gross. And then they flash froze it. But, you know, fancy people don't want to eat frozen fish. Uh, they want to eat fresh fish. So then they just sent the codfish in um, tanks. I learned all this uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's very fascinating. You can read about it this week. But they sent, them, uh, they, they sent them in these tanks. And when the fish would come, 
in tanks. And they would serve it. It was disgusting, even though it was fresh, because the fish had gone soft. They were in these nice little tanks where people fed them every day, and they went soft, and the fish was gross, and everybody was sending it back. So after a bunch of experimentation, what they realized they had to do is send the codfish with a catfish in, in the um, tank, because catfish are predators of codfish. And what would happen as something was coming from the west coast or the east coast, um, the poor codfish uh, would have to swim away <laughs> from the catfish the whole time, and they didn't become soft. And this is the way that they still, if you order, if you go to Red Lobster today after church, there's one in the northeast. It is delicious, but you probably need to get reservations. Anyways, if you go to any fish spot today and you order cod, that's how it's come to you, with a catfish chasing the codfish around. This has actual implications for us. Do you know, a lot of us are praying, God, I want you to take me out of the world and all the bad things to be taken away. Do you know what you're going to turn to? Mush. Mush. You're going to turn into a mushy old Christian who looks like a Christian, but you're mushy. And you got, you're gross and nobody wants to eat you. This is why Jesus prayed, God, don't take them out of the world. Protect them in the world. Don't take them out of the world. You know, when you've got problems, so I, I, we, you know, if you're human here, you've got more problems than you have limbs or fingers or toes. But I thank God for those problems because they're keeping me firm. They're, they're, I'm, I'm not asking God to take me out of the world. I'm asking him to protect me while I'm in the world. I'm asking him to make me strong while I'm in it. This is why, this is why Paul could say, I count it all joy when you face temptation. Count it all joy because it's making you firm. It's making you firm in your faith. I know some of you are looking at me like, that problem I'm going to have to thank God for? I don't think so. We, don't think, we know the problems are not from God, but we know that he uses them to make us strong. You see, there is, um, growing up, I would sing, we would sing this hymn, All Fly Away, O Glory. I won't sing it for you today, but some of you will remember it. And basically, the premise of the song is like, I'm just going to like, hold on for these next bunch of years, and I'm going to fly away, praise God, because it's the worst here. Uh, And for a lot of us, that is the theological moorings we've lived with. Um, I, I just want to isolate from the world. Could we start a, a commune? Could we not talk to anybody who won't know Jesus and we're scared of the world? But Jesus actually gives us a new way here. Uh, others of us, uh, we just want to insulate ourselves. So some of us want to isolate ourselves. Some of us want to insulate ourselves. This is sort of what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. They would like wrap themselves in these cloaks and if you were like a pagan, they would try not to look at you. Just insulate themselves from the world. Some of us, uh, basically, what we want to do is go into a vegetative state. So, like, we read about the Great Commission, we say things like, oh, well, I'm not really that kind of person, so it's not for me. I'm just going to wait till like, I don't know, the time is right. And we end up vegetating our life away. And others of us, we're Christians, But if we're honest, we imitate the world, and this is not what Jesus is talking about either. He's actually talking that we would permeate the world, that we would be in the world, but not of it. 
This is why when he says, you're the salt of the earth, the word picture here is like how they would preserve meat in times gone by is they would put the salt on the meat. The salt was no good, though, if it just like was scattered. Actually had to be put on the meat, which means there needed to be contact. We actually have to be in contact with people if we're going to permeate the world, if we're going to make a difference. And this is what Jesus was praying for all of us, that we would become people. He was praying for his disciples, but praying for us as well, that we would become people that actually change the world by our presence. And I, I just think it's so cool that the one thing Jesus prayed for, like really specifically, is that we would have his joy. That we would have his joy. This is, now this is not super, obviously this is not superficial joy, like, Everything's easy and lappy, uh, clappy, laughy, but that we would actually walk with the joy of the Lord. Man, I think this is something we can ask God for. If you're not feeling joy here today, maybe you've come in and things have felt very hard. I, I want to encourage you to say, God, would you give me your joy? Because Jesus had joy even in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of heartache, he had joy. Okay, then Jesus prays for all the believers, his third part of his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. You can see the tie there. That unity actually causes people to see the love of Jesus that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Okay, so here's the cool thing. Jesus was praying for you in this passage. I just find that amazing that Jesus, just as he was about to go to the cross, was thinking about us, was thinking about people who would come to know him and Hebrews 11 tells us that God, that Jesus himself is still making intercession for you. You know when people say, I'll pray for you. And you're, if you're cynical like me, you think, oh, of course you will. Just like, okay, okay, I haven't thought that about you. If you've told me you were praying for me, I've believed you. But, you know, sort of like a euphemism in our culture, like, I'll pray for you. But Jesus actually is praying for you. He's making intercession at the throne room of heaven, God says. He's um, making things. The other thing we can pick up on this prayer is that unity matters. It matters that we are unified. In some ways, this prayer that Jesus prayed has already been established. Uh, we know this because in Galatians 3.28 it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he, he made us unified in him. 
But in another sense, uh, we still have to guard this unity, guard this peace. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. All week long as I was praying, I, I just felt like uh, there was somebody that would be here today, and this is not probably even rocket science. There'd be somebody here that, like, you've been hurt by somebody, and maybe justifiably so, but it's caused unforgiveness to, like, grow in your heart. And if you're really honest, it's become a root of bitterness for you. You haven't been able to let it go. I just want to call you to this prayer of Jesus. The good news is that God comes and makes us unified. If we'll just give that offense over to him, you don't have to white-knuckle your way through it. It's God who comes and, and helps us to forgive. And this is why as a church we talk about, uh, we, we want to be a place of dialogue. We're not always going to uh, agree. It is useless to get up and say, you know what, we're now going to agree about every little thing. We're not. But we're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. So that means that you can say, well, listen, Jess, I did not agree with X, Y, or Z. And I can say to you, yeah, and I, I don't really understand your perspective, but you know what? I love you. I'm going to walk with you anyways. It's not going to be a deal breaker. We're, we're actually, and then the world is going to know. Listen, there is nothing, there is nothing that you think, short of the blood of Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection, there is nothing that is that important that we should break relationship over. Yes? Because here's the weird thing. As people, we get pet projects. I know none of you have a pet project, but like, do you ever think, think back to like things, like we do this with food, okay? Let me just explain it with food. Food is my love language. We do this with food. I remember in the 80s, everything was about radishes. Does every, anyone remember this terrible time in history? We were going on holidays, and my mom, instead of buying cheesies, bought radishes for us to eat. We had radishes in everything. Now you can't, listen, if there's a recipe that calls for radishes, you can't even find them in the grocery store. Who makes, who eats radishes anymore? Nobody. We had a pet project of radishes. My mom really got into egg, I'm sorry, mom, I'm really outing you here today. She really got into eggplant for a while, too. We were the egg, I remember saying to her, mom, I have friends coming over, please don't make anything with eggplant. We were really big into eggplant for a while. And now, I don't know, I haven't eaten eggplant. Dave hates eggplant, so we never eat eggplant. What's weird about us as humans is that we get on these really big kicks where we like really, really, we're like laser focused into something. And if somebody else isn't laser-focused into that with us, we're like, well, you're lesser. I guess the Lord really hasn't spoken to you. <laughs> I just want you to, like, maybe hold with open hands. Just say, God, we're going to endeavor to keep the unity of your spirit, because this is what you prayed for. This is the prayer Jesus prayed for. In his last and dying mo in his moments before he goes to the cross, he's praying for unity. He's not praying for your pet project. He's not praying for the thing that makes you really mad, the theological concern you have. He's praying for unity. He's praying for unity. So, so the question I began to ask myself is, where have I written people off? Oh, mm. Where have I picked my project instead of unity? Where have I decided that I was going to be? I know none of us would say, and one thing about me is that I'm argumentative. 
but it is one thing about me. <laughs> it's true. Some of us need to admit that, that I actually haven't endeavored. Now, th- now listen, this is the most, I will say this, I've been pastoring for 25 years. This is the most beautiful church I've ever pastored. Don't ever change. Don't ever, ever change. <laughs> we're not actually an argumentative crowd, but if we're not careful, we don't keep guarding this it can become problematic. Some of you pray in a way that God has given you conviction about. Praise God. I'm thankful for that. And some of you worship in a way that is wild and amazing. And I was saying this to somebody. Um, when we, we, we don't judge electricity based on what the thing I'm plugging in does, right? Like if I were to plug in this, well, I'm plugging in this light and now I can't see you because I looked at it. Uh, that's just what that does. It's not, a, it's not a reflection of the electricity, nor is it a reflection if I plugged in a charger, a phone charger that really doesn't make any noise at all. Um, the way you worship is not a reflection, or the way that you respond to the presence of God is not a reflection often of either the power of God working in you or your personal, like if you're broken. Some of us are just, we get plugged into electricity and we go wild because that's the way we are. That's the way God designed us. Did you like that move? It's a very (laughs) weird move. I'm sorry, Amira. Uh, We have young adult daughters, it's hard. So uh, some of us, that's the way God has designed it. Some of us, listen, we plug into electricity and we just... It doesn't mean that God is not working in you. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not working through you. And we get all bent out of shape. We break unity over silly things like that. I'm just declaring in this house, we're going to be a place where we, uh, where we just lean into each other and just say, wow, that's cool the way God's made you. It's different than the way God's made me. I'm going to contend for unity. I'm going to contend for unity in the way that you think about things. Wow, it's really cool how you look at that scripture. I don't look at it that way. Wow, isn't it cool how God, now, now I, hear me, I'm not saying that we're getting into um, just like whatever you think goes. I'm not saying that at all, relativism. But I am saying a lot of things we worry about and we call them relativism or not relativism at all. It's just us getting up in our feelings about things. Some of us need to decide we're going to forgive. We're going to let go. We're going to stop clutching. We're just going to say I'm contending for unity. Okay, so why does this prayer matter? Why does this prayer matter? Looking forward to the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, And I've said this before, but I I want you to see this. At a very stressful time in Jesus' life, his first instinct was to lean into prayer with his father. What is your first instinct in a difficult season? The story of the passion is that God loved us so much that he was willing to walk to the cross for us, but he didn't do it begrudgingly. He wasn't like, well, I guess if I have to. Like, I think sometimes we take that prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane and think, oh, Jesus didn't really want to do it. He was kind of like, whatever. If I have to do this, fine. He was doing it with love in his heart for you. Do you see this, all this? Like, I really want people to know, God, how much you love me. This is amazing. I also, I want you to see this morning that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're facing, God wants to be part of it. He longs for you to lift up your eyes, to reach out to him with your attention and your words. 
finally, I, I want you to see today that just as Jesus prayer prayed, his ultimate hope for you is that you would experience him in glory. This, so while we don't just say, whatever, I'm just waiting till I die, the other side of this and the, the balance in this is that this is not all there is. And some of us say praise God right now. The present reality that you are facing is not all that you will experience. The Bible tells us that this life is a vapor, and we know this because life keeps going faster and faster. But someday soon, on this planet, your life will be over. But your life will not. Your life here will be over, but your life will not be over. And Jesus' desire, even before he went to the cross, even before he endured all that he would, was that you would be with him in glory. Listen to verse 24 of John 17. Father, I want those you have given me, again, you're a gift. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. The part of the Greek here is not just like where he was in that moment, but that where he was going. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The reality is today, you can know, you can know with assurance that when you die, that you can see the glory of God, you can see the glory of Jesus. And this morning, um, I'm just going to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. I, I just, th this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 is um, so revealing in many ways about what is important to God, what is important to Jesus. His prayer is that you would see him in glory, that you would know him, that you would experience him, to see the glory that is all his. The Bible says that we will, we will gaze upon his radiance. And today I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus, to this Jesus, who calls you to not just live for the moment, but calls you to live for a greater vision of what it means to live eternally. But if you're here and you've never made that decision, you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you today to say yes to him, to say yes to his ways, to say yes to his heart for you, to say yes for, to his love for you. I just want us to pray a prayer together. If that's you this morning, you've never said yes, I want to invite you just to pray this prayer with me. Listen, there's nothing magical in these words, but it's a posture of our heart that says yes to the, to the person, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So would you just repeat after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I ask that you would forgive me. Make me a new person. I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a fresh encounter with Jesus this Easter. 
I want to pray three weeks before Easter that God would give us all a renewed, fresh vision of the thing, of the, the weight that he has taken from us, the forgiveness he's offered us. Would you just stand to your feet this morning? I want to pray blessing over you that God would uh, give us all a fresh vision of him, a renewed understanding of what he did for us. So God, where we have grown weary, where we've forgotten some of the things that you've done, the way that you rescued us, the way that you came and broke in on our lives, I pray that you'd give us a renewed vision of that. May we see you in a new and powerful way. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each and every person. Your word says that my sheep hear my voice. They know me. And so, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And I pray that these would be days of renewal. These would be days of newness of life. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. All God's people said amen. Let's just close with the song this morning. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.